Amen. Thank you, Cindy. Let's turn your Bibles, please, to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. The Lord has stirred my heart tonight and enjoyed the music and the singing. And I, I, it's just my prayer that the Lord is not upset with us worshiping him a little more than we planned. I hope that doesn't bother him. And sometimes we get upset about little things like that, but I think... Well, if we sang all night, if we sang his praises for the next 10,000 years, it'd never be enough to describe all that he has done. I like the last verse in the book of John, if all the books of the earth could not contain all the things that he did. And what a wonderful, wonderful verse and thought. I want to encourage you tonight. Um, John chapter 17 is not what I was planning, but the Lord is stirring my heart about something. This last week, we've seen kind of a step backwards, haven't we? With all this COVID talk and everything that's going on, and we're of course, not real clear about everything that is happening as far as the government is concerned. Are we ever clear about what the government's doing? But that's a whole nother sermon, probably one I shouldn't preach. I was told just yesterday, somebody was sharing with me that uh, some of the higher numbers this week were as a result of tests that were backlogged, that they couldn't get tested. They were from the spring and the summer and already have recovered, and yet they added to our numbers this week. And and admittedly, there's an increase in all the rest, and, and perhaps you're feeling discouraged. I, I could imagine. You know, you wonder, is my job going to be in trouble again? And Because some of these things are out of our control, aren't they? You might think, well, this is all just hype, and it's all blown out of proportion. But that doesn't stop the government from closing your workplace, just what we think. And uh, a common sense approach is not always what takes place at higher levels of authority. And so whether or not we agree with what's going on or we believe all the hype or we understand, I, I think we're not foolish. Some of you are wearing masks tonight. You understand there's a real virus out there. Some of you are not scared at all. Others have different levels of apprehension. We've had people call the church weeping on the phone, wondering what is going on. And I, and I know that it can be discouraging. You're wondering, how much longer can this last? I said to my wife, I am not planning a third wedding. I said, I've canceled once, I've planned a second one, I'm not going for a third time, this is happening, COVID or not. And, and so we, our lives are put on hold, aren't they? And, and things begin to change, and it's not, not anything we can control. But here's the wonderful thing, when things are out of our control, he's always in control. And we may not know what, what's going on in our future, but God does. And we just want to trust him and, and, and lean upon him. And I want to encourage you tonight just a little bit, and this is not what I was planning, but John chapter 17 is commonly referred to as the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. And it may not be a very deep thought tonight, but I think it'll be an encouraging thought. My Bible says that in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, that I can go boldly to the throne of grace. And I can obtain Mercy. That means I'm going there to get something. I'm going looking or seeking for mercy. But God says, I will find grace to help in the time of need. Mercy meaning, God, help me. I'm a sinner. Forgive me. But grace says, oh, I'll do so much more than that. I'll give you heaven. I'll give you, I'll give you your daily sustenance. I'll take care of your needs. I'll comfort your soul. I'll love you all the way to Calvary. What a wonderful privilege it is to pray. But can I tell you something even greater than the power of prayer? It's this single thought. 
Not only can you go to God at any moment and pray, but that Jesus is praying for you. That Christ is praying for you. The Bible says that Jesus Christ sat down at the right hand of the Father and there he makes intercession for us. He's praying for you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that the Spirit searcheth our hearts and he is making intercession for us. Because we don't know how we ought to pray. We have Jesus praying, we have the Spirit praying, and we have the Father listening who knows our every need. Turn, if you will, to John chapter 17, and we'll read a few verses here this evening, but look at verse 20. I want to give you the background of what is happening. In John chapter 14, of course, we know the passage. Jesus said, not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Then he says, I go to prepare a place for you. How many of you know that verse? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Hey, for you and me, that's great news. That's wonderful news. We sing about it. We sing about Jesus. I've got a mansion. Just over the hilltop. We sing about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe something we sing he's coming today or maybe today. And, and what if it were today? We sing all those great hymns of the faith that talk about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to catch us away. And we will be forever with the Lord. We look forward to that. And so we read that verse, verse 3 of chapter 14 of the book of John. It says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. But what the disciples heard was, I go. I'm leaving. Boy, their hearts must have broke. That's not what they planned. That's not what they signed up for. They came along with Jesus because he was going to turn over the government. He was going to set up an earthly kingdom. He was the Messiah. He was that hero riding in on a white horse. Not on the back of a donkey. Not one that would go to a cross and die at the hands of the Romans. And as we learned this morning, Caiaphas, the wicked high priest. That's not what they had signed up for. Three and a half years later, when they left their nets to follow him, they did not expect they would be running for their very lives. That they would be shut up in an upper room for fear of the Jews. That they would be scattered from Jerusalem and go all over the world. And all but one of them would give their lives for the cause of Christ. They didn't expect that. And so in John 14, when Jesus said, I go. Jesus, knowing the hearts of all men... Begin to encourage them. He said, but where I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, how can we know the way? And Jesus said, because I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh the Father but by me. I'm not sure how that night played out, but I can picture Jesus sitting perhaps around a campfire with his disciples and telling them these great truths. And knowing their hearts once again, he can see how they're dejected and despondent. Their hearts are hurting. How many, how many of you have buried loved ones and you know you'll see them again? And yet your hearts are still hurting. We sorrow. The Bible says we sorrow, just not as others that have no hope. But we still sorrow. 
we still grieve. And Jesus, knowing their hearts and seeing into their soul and knowing their hurt and their sorrow that night, said, listen, fellas, it is expedient. That means it is important. It is of utmost importance for you that I go. It is expedient that I go. For if I not go, the comforter cannot come. I will not leave you comfortless. He made a promise that the Holy Spirit would come and dwell with them. In John chapter 14, he tells them of the Holy Spirit. And in John chapter 15, he reminds them again, Hey, fellas, remember just a little while ago I told you about the Holy Spirit? He's coming. And when he comes, he will reprove the world of sin. And he will comfort your hearts. He is the comforter. And he told them in John chapter 15 and John chapter 16 again. And over and over he reminded them. And finally in John chapter 17, Jesus says... I guess I've told them all I can tell them. The greatest thing I can do for them now is pray. And so he went to the Father. And he prayed for his disciples. The first several verses of John chapter 17, you'll find that Jesus speaks specifically of the twelve. He says to his Father, I have kept all of the ones that you gave me, save one, the son of perdition, who we knew was a devil from the beginning. He knew Judas wasn't saved. Jesus was no fool. He was God in the flesh. He prayed for those disciples that he would not keep them from tribulation, but that he would preserve them through it, that he would strengthen them, that that God would come alongside them and, and prepare them for the task of world evangelism, of reaching the lost for Jesus Christ. He knew that they would go out into all the world and preach the gospel. He says, I pray not that they should be taken out of the world, but that it should keep them from the evil. They are not of this world. He says, Father, sanctify them. Through thy truth, thy word is truth. But then Jesus does something in the middle of his prayer. He turns his attention to you. They say, come on, preacher. You talk all the time about context and who's the passage speaking to and who is Jesus talking to? I'm not lying to you one iota when I say this. He's talking about you. The Bible says so. Notice what it says in John chapter 17, verse 20. He's been speaking of his disciples, and he says, Neither pray I for these, look what he says next, alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, and they be, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and has loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will, they, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. Boy, I'm looking forward to that day, to be with him where he is, to behold his glory. Which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee. 
and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love therewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Our Heavenly Father, for the next few moments, would you help us? Would you encourage us? Lord, it's a bit telling that we have people calling the church, and with the changes we see each and every day, Lord, they're discouraged and they're hurting. And I I imagine there's some here tonight that are apprehensive about their jobs and wondering, will we have another shutdown? Will the economy take another beating? Or what, what does tomorrow hold? Lord, I'm thankful that we can hold on to the everlasting one. Lord, that we can claim the one who knows the end from the beginning. Father, our faith is so important, more now than ever before in these uncertain times. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us. Speak to our hearts tonight. Comfort, encourage, bless us. Father, I, I feel pricked in my heart to share these thoughts, and I pray, Lord, that you would fill me with thy Holy Spirit. Lord, if this is not the message you would have, I pray that you would change it very quickly. But Lord, help us to, to take from your word tonight and help us with it. I surrender to thee, and will thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at verse 20 again with me. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them, but for them, that's you, also which shall believe on me through their word. You say, I've never heard the Apostle Paul preach. I have. I've not sat down in a synagogue in Jerusalem and heard the man Paul stand before me and preach the word of God, but I've opened up my Bible. And I've read first and second Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians. I've never stood in the presence of the apostle Peter as he preached to us the gospel of Jesus Christ, but I've read in the book of Acts and I've heard his sermons as he has preached, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I unto thee in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And as he stood before that council, as we talked about this morning, preached to them the name of Jesus Christ. There's salvation, he said in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other. We must call upon Jesus to be saved. I may not have ever heard these people, but Jesus says, I'm not just praying for these disciples. I'm not just praying for those that are gathered around me and listening to me pray. I'm praying for them also that shall believe on me through their word. I believe that to be the everlasting word of the word of God. That's you. Just, just wrap your mind around that thought tonight for just a moment. And if you're, if you're hurting tonight, if you're feeling like nobody cares and nobody loves you, and you're wondering, uh, what, what's going to happen tomorrow when I go to work? There's all these new restrictions, and they're talking about closing things down again, and they're threatening with all this COVID stuff. What is going to happen to me? Remember this tonight. Jesus is praying for you. And nobody prays any better than Jesus. We often pray, but we don't always pray in the will of God. The Bible tells us in the book of Jude to pray in the Holy Ghost. I believe that means to be surrendered to him. We are told, Paul, the Apostle Paul also told us to pray in the Spirit. 
I believe that means to be surrendered to the Spirit of God, to be filled with His Spirit, to try to align ourselves with the will of God. And we sometimes pray, and the Bible says we, we, we have not because we pray in the flesh. And we ask amiss, seeking to consume it upon our own lusts, it says in the book of James. And so we miss out because we're not praying in the will of God. But let me tell you this, Jesus never makes that mistake. The Holy Spirit is searching your hearts, for we know not how we ought to pray, but he is making intercession for us according to the will of God. Romans chapter 8. We never have to worry when we know that Jesus is in control and Jesus is praying for us. Sometimes I think we'd be better off praying if we just fell on our face before God, like the public is, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. And God, you know my needs, and so I'm surrendering to you. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. You just give me my daily bread. I'm not going to take thought of clothing or raiment because even the lilies of the field are clothed. God shows them in all their splendor. He'll take care of me. There's not even a sparrow that falls off a branch and he's not aware of it. Very hairs of your head are numbered. Probably higher number than mine. But the fact is God is intimately aware of every part of you. You know, about 100 years ago, or 120 years ago, I believe it was, I just read this this week, it's kind of interesting, when they developed the first microscope, and they began to look at the cells of the body, and they put the, some of that blood under a microscope, and they began to look at it and magnify it, and they said, those things are moving, they're alive. Of course, they died very quickly without the host of the body. But for a moment, they could see that those cells and how they acted. God knows every cell in your body without a microscope. He is the author of life. You see, I got this thing going on in my body. I'm not sure what it is. God does. I've got this ache and this pain. God knows all about it. I struggle to get out of bed in the morning. God knows. And here's the thing. He's praying for you. He's, in, he's cheering you on. Think about that. Listen. When you pray for somebody else, you're cheering them on. You want God's best for them. We're, we're praying for Michelle's sister right now who's struggling physically and in her body. And hey, when we're praying for her, we're saying, Go! We're cheering you on. We want you to get saved. We want you to be healed. We want you to have another chance to hear the gospel. Think about this. When Jesus prays for you, he's cheering for you. My Bible says, if God be for us, who can be against us? He's on your side. Just that singular thought tonight overwhelms me that Jesus He's not just praying for the disciples. He's not just praying for his contemporaries. He's not just praying for the first generation of the church. He's not just praying for those that were martyrs during the dark ages. He's not just praying for religious leaders across the world. He's praying for each and every one that would just simply believe on me. That's what Jesus is doing. The Bible says when he sat down on the right hand of the Father and he's making intercession, there's another word in there. He is ever making intercession. Let me ask you this. 
Does anybody know the verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.17? Come on, Leland. Did you learn that in school yet? It's the second shortest verse in the Bible. Matthew 11.35 is Jesus wept. It's the next shortest verse. Pray without ceasing. Let me ask you this. If that's a command of the Word of God, and Jesus is always true to His Word, do you think that Jesus is praying without ceasing? Not convinced. Can Jesus disobey the Word of God? This is going to sound like blasphemy if, if King David didn't write it in the Psalms. He said, Thy word have I magnified above my name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And God said, but my word is magnified above that. What is your word worth? How many of you are old enough to remember handshake agreements, no contracts? Your word was your bond. God says, my, word's, my word is more important than my name. He, listen, he just wanted us to know. When I say I'll never leave you, forsake you, what I mean is I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I want you to know when I say I go to prepare a place for you, I mean I will go and prepare a place for you. When I say I will come again, I mean I will come again. We can always take him at his word. He is reliable 100% of the time. And if Jesus cannot disobey the word of God and the Bible says pray without ceasing, guess what Jesus is doing? He's ever making intercession for you. He's never, he never stops. He said, what about when I'm broken? He's praying. What about when I'm grieving? He's praying. What about when I'm sick? He's praying. Well, couldn't he heal it? Sure he can. Couldn't he take away my grief? He is the comforter. but he's ever taking it to the Father. And I think it kind of works like this. He's saying, Father, your child is hurting, but I got this. Father, your child is sick, but I'm the great physician. Father, your child is broken. I'll fix them. The Bible says that he was touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He knows how you feel, and so he prays. What an what a incredible thought that Jesus is praying for you. Now look what he says. I want to give you a singular thought, but I'm just going to expand a little bit. Verse 21 <laughs> that they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. You know why the world doesn't believe that Jesus was sent? Because there's so much fighting among believers. We're not one. 
Now listen, I am, I am not an ecumenical guy. I'm not talking about tearing down the walls with false religions and just all you know marching down the street together arm in arm. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that. But I've grown to the point where I am sure thankful for people that are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, even if we don't see eye to eye on everything. Years ago, we had a, a fellow come to our church, Brother Ketchum. I've told you about Brother Ketchum before. He and his wife were four-square Pentecostal. They had left the Pentecostal church and became four-square because she wanted to preach and the Pentecostal church wouldn't let her. So, so they went, and now they're retired, and they're well in their 80s, and we were right just down the street about a half a block from the seniors' home they lived in, and so they would walk down and have a Sunday night service with us. And I'm going to be honest with you. When I went over and shook their hands, I had to believe in my heart that she was the preacher of the two. Ida? Because she'd get wound up in church, wouldn't she? She'd say, Amen! She'd get her fist and she'd, Amen! And just, I mean, boy, I loved having the cheerleaders there. I ran into them. I ran into Brother Ketchum in the grocery store one day. And I was checking out and he was right behind me and, and you had to buy grocery bags. And I... I said, I think I need six bags, and I ended up using five probably or whatever it was. And, and so I had one left over, and, and the lady says, do you need to purchase a bag? She's already checking him out, and I'm bagging him up. And he says, yeah, I think I need one. I said, just a minute, Brother Ketchum. I said, I've got one here. And I gave it to him. Big deal, five cents, right? And he turned to that lady, and he used it as a witnessing tool, and he says, we're on the same team. And she said, What? I'm a long way from a four-square Pentecostal. <laughs> I, uh, I'm not, I don't, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you a secret. I'm not for women preachers. I'm just not. I don't think it's biblical. I, I just, that's just where I stand, and that's what I believe the Bible teaches. Well, when I'm standing in a grocery store in front of an unsaved lady, and Brother Ketchum says, we're on the same team. And he pulls out a gospel track out of his pocket. He says, here's what I'm talking about. That's not the time for me to get into a doctrinal study. Amen? That's the time to win a soul to Christ. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll tell you, not just one, I'll give you an example. My dad's uh, best man in his wedding was uh, Jim Taylor. Jim Taylor. Some of you might know Jim from Simcoe here. And uh, I never met him as a kid. They, you know, got on married and got on their lives and kind of weren't hanging out as much anymore. And I never knew who he was. And I remember when I was a little boy, we were out in the east coast of Canada and we were on vacation and we stopped to get some gas and my dad saw a semi-truck across the parking lot, getting gas. And he said, I think that's Jim Taylor pumping that gas. And we walked over, and I met him for the first time. I was about 13 years old. I never met him before that. About seven years ago, I stopped in a restaurant to pick up a sandwich at lunchtime. And there was a fellow sitting at the table, and he's looking at me. And I'm looking at him. And I walked over, and I said, are you, are you Jim Taylor? He said, yeah, I am. He says, are you Alan Fury? And I said, now, wait a minute. 
I met you once in my life. It was 30 years ago. And I said, you haven't changed much. I said, but I don't look like I'm 13 anymore. I had, I had hair. I mean, I'm completely different. He said this. He said, all you furies kind of look alike. He said, I knew you were a fury when I saw you. And when you came and spoke to me, I knew. A couple years ago, we were at the fair booth for the church. And one of my boys, Brendan was there with us, and it was we saw this fella coming down the aisle with his wife and there was a teenage girl with him. And he says, dad, he says, those, those folks there are furies. He says, I go to school with the daughter. She's a fury. And then the man turned and he stood and he looked at a display. And I said to my wife, I said, honey, look, she says, is that your dad? I said, no. I said, but he's a fury. She says, there's no doubt about it. I'm just saying when we represent Christ, we ought to start looking a little bit more alike. We name the name of Christ. Listen, if you're saved tonight, if you know Christ, I I don't care what denomination you are. You ought to look like Jesus, not like a denomination. You ought to look like Christ. And we'll sort out all the doctrine. We're still a Baptist church, and there's still a Pentecostal church, and there's still a Methodist church in town, and and they got their doctrines, and we we disagree on certain things. But hey, you know what Simcoe wants to see? They want to see Christ. I don't care if you're Baptist. I don't care if you're Pentecostal. Several years ago, a missionary, Brother Randy Boardman, went to Japan. He was there for four years and won two people to Christ. Land of Shintoism, traditional religions. And some would say, oh, Randy Boardman's a failure. Randy Boardman's a failure. At the end of his fourth year, he went to some people there and he says, what's going on? He says, I'm trying. I'm telling people about Christ. And a Japanese man said to him, Mr. Borman, we have over 6,000 religions on this little island. He says, we don't need another one. What we need is the Bible and Jesus Christ. You see, the name Baptist to them was just another religion. They wanted Jesus. So all he did was take his business card and called it Hokadu, I believe it was called Hokadu. Bible, church in Japanese. And in the next term, his church began to fill and people began to get saved. Listen, I'm not about taking the name Baptist off. Don't get me wrong. I know everybody's going to go home and have their fireside chats tonight. If you want this keg card back, you can have it. But what I'm saying is people need to see Jesus. People need to see Jesus. Two things tonight, and I'm going to quit. Jesus is praying for you. He loves you that much, that he's praying without ceasing. And number two, he's praying that you'll look more like him and that you'll look like one another in so doing. Neil, you're my brother. Do you know that? You're my brother from another mother. You're my sister from another mister. But it's true. We are related. We ought to start looking alike.
talking alike, behaving alike. Leland, when I look at you, I see your grandpa. I, say, I think you look so much like him. There ought to be a family resemblance. Do we look like Jesus? Do we look like one another looking like Jesus? If somebody were to walk in here tonight and say, hey, they, they all kind of got one thing on their mind. It's Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, if we need to be reminded tonight how much Jesus loves us, it's the fact that he's ever making intercession for us. He's praying for us. He loves us. Lord, maybe there's some here tonight that need that help and encouragement. Father, maybe there's somebody here tonight that, Lord, I'm, I'm not about tearing down the walls. I'm not a, an ecumenicalist. But I know a brother in Christ. And Father, would you just help us to have the right balance? Yes, our doctrine's important. But the world needs to see Jesus. Well, their eschatology is different. It's our salvation we ought to be concerned about first and foremost. So God help us. Speak to our hearts, we pray. Let's stand to our feet tonight. God has spoke to your heart. This altar is open. You may come at any time.